Jordan, Pastor Luke, our new discipleship pastor, preached last week and kind of opened up this series um, that we're calling In Not Of. And uh, we know the scriptures teach us that as followers of Jesus, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? So what does that mean? And and uh, we live in a time where it's, I think, uh, it's always been important, but certainly every moment uh, in history is important that we step into it and we're able to be the people that God has called us to be. And, and so uh, I thought it'd be good to look at uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is the beginning chapters of the book of Daniel, um, which give us a great example of some young men who were in the world but not of the world. And they really established for us a great example of how to handle ourselves in times that might be difficult. In the beginning of time, we read the book of Genesis, we see that the human race just constantly seems bent on moving away from God and going our own direction. Maybe you'd agree with that. As we read the book of Genesis, we see it just happen over and over again. And uh, God, in his sovereign will and plan and wisdom chose a people to represent him here on earth to uh, maintain and, and sort of preserve and protect the knowledge of God and to even demonstrate what it's like to live for God in the world. And so you know that he chose the nation of Israel, began with Abraham and uh, made him into a people through him, a people that would represent God on the earth, that would live on mission, if you will, showing the rest of the world, who God is, what he's about, and preserving the knowledge of God. And uh, that was before Jesus. And of course, part of the promise, the covenant to Abraham was that God would bless the world through him and through the nation of Israel. And then uh, God sends his son, Jesus. Um, God comes to earth and takes on human flesh and lives among us and reveals to us who God is. And then Jesus establishes the church. He says, anyone that puts their trust in me, anyone who puts their trust in me that will uh, believe that I was and am the, uh, the son of God, that I came to earth and lived among the human race and ultimately went to the cross and died there, shedding my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Anyone that'll put my, their faith and trust in me can be a part of my family, my body, can be a part of the church. And so today, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you're a part of that group of people that the Bible says are called out ones, called out, right, from the rest of the world to live differently, to live for God and to preserve the knowledge of God and to continue to press in and pass on what, who God is and what he's about and the nature of the relationship he wants to have with us. It's so important, I think, it, through my lifetime, Different events have taken place, right, in our country that have made it super important that at this moment I'm aware and I'm present and I'm representing Jesus and I'm willing and ready to share with others. And I think we live in one of those moments. I've noticed as we were on vacation, right, the, the ruling for the Supreme Court to um, send the abortion issue back to the states and to um, cancel it from being federal law. Well, you may have noticed, but it's caused a little stir in our country, a little stir. And people are saying, what's going on and what is this about? And it's kind of brought this conversation back to the surface. And yes, I know that it's been conflict rich, some of that conversation, but it also provides an opportunity, friends, for the people of God to encourage 
the world we live in with the reason behind these things, who God is, what is the knowledge of God, what does God want from us? How should we live in relation to God? What is human life about? How does it originate? And what is God's involvement with us? See, that's an important time in the history of our world. There's a whole generation that is grappling with this issue again because of what's been done. And so we have that opportunity to step in and to remind people Focus them on places like Psalm 139, which describe the, na- the nature of God's relationship with each human being and the personal relationship God wants to have and the oversight that he has with each life. And so it's important that we live as called out ones in the world we live in, that we are present and that we are preserving the knowledge of God, that we're living for him. The book of Daniel is written at a time where the nation of Israel was undergoing some correction by God. They were, uh, God allowed them to be defeated by Nebuchadnezzar II. Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered Israel, really Judah, and took thousands of young men back to um, his empire, which was Babylon, to serve within his empire. Pastor Luke last week opened this up and with the first chapter of Daniel and you saw um, some of what happened there. We have our four characters, four young men who are thrown out of their homeland, thrown into a pagan culture that doesn't respect their God, doesn't know their God, doesn't honor their God. How will they handle themselves? Their names were changed by Ashpenaz, who was the chief uh, representative for the king in charge of all these young men who were to go through a process of training. Daniel, of course, is the prominent figure. He, his name was changed to Belt, Belteshazzar. Um, Hananiah was another young man. His name was changed to Shadrach, a Babylonian name. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. I don't know why, but when I was a kid learning about this story, it was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? It wasn't like uh, Daniel or Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach. I don't know why, but uh, we use Daniel probably because the book of the Bible is named for him. It'd be too hard to change it. People get confused. But, but here's the deal. They live in a pagan culture. Even their names are changed. How will they handle themselves? Well, you saw last week that they were tested as they were put into the king's uh, training regimen kind of like college, and, uh, and they were going to be fed food from the king's table, which was a great privilege, and very humbly, with a great deal of uh, submission, not in, a, in an act of, not really with an outward sign of rebellion. They said, listen, we can't do this. We're going to draw a line in the sand, and we're going to fight to honor God with our lives. We recognize we represent God. In the New Testament, um, in the NIV anyway, the word um, sanctification is used The Bible says that as called out ones were sanctified. And sanctified means set aside for a holy purpose. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recognized they belonged to God. And in a moment of crisis and testing, they stepped into the moment. They said, listen, we're going to be set apart. We're going to honor God in this way. And they asked Ashpenaz, we can't eat this this food. We can't drink this wine. Can we have vegetables and water, right? Crazy thing for some young men to ask. 
<laughs> their way to the big city and they get to eat all this fancy food. And instead they go, no, we can't do it because they had to honor God with their dietary laws. And so they asked Ashpenaz, right? Can we do this? And he said, you guys, you're gonna get me in trouble. My head's on the line here. If you don't look good, right? If you don't look good, the king's gonna have my head, literally. He said, just test us for a little bit. And so they passed the test. God blessed them and honored them. And as we move into chapter two of Daniel, the story continues. Having passed this test, they saw themselves as set aside, belonging to God. And so they honored God with their lives. The same thing we're called to do. I think what we can see in the story is how God begins to use these young men in ways they could have never imagined. And it really comes through a crisis. I don't know about you, but I'm going to encourage you that oftentimes when God is preparing to use you in a powerful way or he is using you, it may feel like you're in a life or death crisis. And these young men are going to experience this today in our, as our story continues. You know, just as a little aside, it's a little extra. It's not my notes, just a little extra. I don't know if Daniel would have been known to us as prominent figure in the Jewish nation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would they have been known if it wasn't for the crisis that they find themselves in? They stepped up in a moment of difficulty and they became prominent leaders known in the Jewish community for generations. We still preach about them today because of their exemplary behavior in a time of difficulty. I don't know, just a little question I had as I contemplate this passage. But as we move into this story in chapter two, we're gonna find that Nebuchadnezzar, this great king who rules the world, everything he does prospers. If he has a problem with a group of people, he goes to war with them and wins. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar uh, has a lot of protection around him. He has soldiers and armies that are vast and he's the most powerful figure in the world. And by all accounts, Nebuchadnezzar probably wasn't scared of much. But God is gonna interject himself into Nebuchadnezzar's life in a way that gets his attention. This pagan king who rules the world, who is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful figure on the earth at the time, God troubles Nebuchadnezzar with a dream. We often wonder, do powerful people, does God get their attention? Can he get their attention? Follow along as I read the first couple of verses of Daniel chapter two. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. By the way, disturbing here is the idea that there was something pounding, like a hammer pounding his chest. Maybe you've woke up from a scary dream before and your heart was pounding. Nebuchadnezzar had such an experience here. So he called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that, he tell, that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. In the book of Daniel, we see here a, something we see in other um, accounts in Scripture, where when God is getting the attention of powerful people, oftentimes he uses dreams. Dreams have a weird way of getting our attention 
<clears throat> you know, maybe you've had that falling dream. Anybody had that falling dream? Or you, the important thing is that you wake up, right? <laughs> I've heard it said if you don't wake up, <laughs> you may not wake up at all. So you, you, you have that falling dream. We're ter- we get terrified by dreams. God gets Nebuchadnezzar's attention, the greatest ruler in the world, through a dream. It troubles him so much, he is moved. And we're going to see how strongly he is moved to discover the answer, to uncover the meaning here. One of the things we face here initially in this, in this book is we have a kind of a timeline issue. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but for those of you that notice the details, you may have noticed that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through a three-year training process in chapter 1, from which they graduated and were highly honored and and recognized. And in chapter 2, in the very beginning, we find this instance, which we're told happens in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, Nebuchadnezzar sieged or besieged Judah in 605 BC. This is when it began. So, at what point, you know, what's going on here is, is there not a timeline here? Is this not happening in chronological order? You know, what are we dealing with? And, and so to that, I would say that there's a lot of ink spilt on an explanation to this. <laughs> if you noticed it, you're not the first one. There's a lot of people over the years that have noticed this discrepancy and said, what does this mean? How is this working? Um, it does seem from a plain reading of the book of Daniel that chapter two happens after chapter one, that there is a progression here of a story. It's not jumping back and forth. And I think it's important um, as I've gone through different training on, on how to study the Bible, it's real important to let the Bible speak in the most natural way that it can, not try to do arm wrestling with it or gymnastics with it, even if that creates some confusion for us. Still better to kind of say, you know what, I'm not sure exactly how this works, but here's what seems to be happening in the most natural sense. Uh, The early readers of the book of Daniel didn't seem to have an issue here, or it probably would have got dealt with a long time ago. And so um, even though uh, there there seems to be a timeline different, I think there's a couple of things that we can note. One is, like I said, the natural reading means that it follows that the boys completed their education before chapter 2 happens, and they face this challenge with King Nebuchadnezzar. Secondly, there are possible answers as to the discrepancy. One of them, and there are many, but one of them, which sounds pretty reasonable to me, and sometimes that's what we're left with when we come to try to make sense of the Bible in places. It, what's, what, what, what seems most reasonable to me is that, you know, in the, in the transfer of power between Nebuchadnezzar II who's really the primary character, and his father, um, there could have been a year of transition, which wasn't accounted for an actual year of his reign and ruling. And so as the records were kept and as the story is told, um, we end up with two years, right? The account here where the boys took three years to get through their training, but were actually in the same year, okay? Um, And so I think it makes sense to me that, that something like that is, is what's happening here. Um, at any rate, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and that's the main point. And God is getting his attention. Doesn't know it's God yet. He doesn't know who God is, really. He practices what is known as paganism. There was spiritual uh, forces at work that they could recognize in the world, but most of paganism revolves around the created order, 
and probably some demonic uh, activity, some satanic power. And so Nebuchadnezzar, being troubled by this dream, so much so that he woke with a start, couldn't go back to sleep, um, he calls in his advisors, those individuals in his empire charged with giving him the inside information on things that were outside of his knowledge. If they were trying to determine when to go to battle, how to approach a particular issue, what decision to make in ruling his nation, he would call in these individuals, their counselors, their advisors. And in his world, in a pagan culture, they were called magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Now, some have said we don't make too much of the different titles here. Um, They really are a group of individuals. We know that they engaged in some activity, typically, that God told his people not to. In Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21, Ezekiel, again, one of the prophetic books written at the time, probably early on, um, when uh, the nation of Israel was in Babylon and was under the rule and reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Ezekiel 21, 21 gives us an indication of how a pagan king would have made decisions. It says this, for the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in a road or the fork in the road. In other words, what do I do? Which way am I going to go? At the junction of the two roads, he will stop to seek an omen. That is some kind of sign, a spiritual sign. He will cast lots with arrows, kind of like rolling dice, right? He will consult his idols, and he will examine the liver. So some practices that pagan people did to try to determine what they should do. They were trying to get some insight into the future. Now, there were sinister magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, and there were benevolent ones. In this case, they seem to be benevolent. These aren't sinister, dark magic people seeking you know, to, uh, to curse and to, to harm. But these were benevolent advisors who were seeking to uh, give the king good advice and help the kingdom advance. They used what spiritual knowledge they had, but it was very, very limited. In fact, God, uh, under the law of Moses, God reveals to the nation of Israel, they are to not have anything to do with these type of practices, divination, the reading of um, animal parts like livers to try to determine and see what God would want them to do. They were to stay away from these things. They were pagan practices and they were involved in, um, in spirituality, if you will, that was not from God or honoring God. There's really two sources of spiritual power. I've had individuals in the past ask me, they've had what they thought were interactions with ghosts. Or do, uh, do um, when people die, do they still stay uh, around to where we can sense them or hear from them? A lot of people have a desire to stay connected, right, to loved ones after they've died. Well, the Bible says clearly that, that no, um, when a person dies, they're gone, right? They go into the presence of God or they're, they're in the realm where God exists. And then we're not to seek individuals who claim to be able to interact with spiritual powers and speak to the dead because uh, these things aren't from God. Their source of power is either phony or it's coming from um, Satan. 
And in our modern world, we move through a period of time where uh, we want to move past uh, this kind of subjective um, mysticism, move into a more scientific, logical, reasonable way of thinking. And yet, in my lifetime, the New Age movement has to bring, uh, sought to bring back some of these pagan practices. Wiccan, which is a form of witchcraft, has come back into popularity. I think in our community, we've had even events that um, propagate or encourage people to seek these kind of spiritual forces and powers to get answers. We certainly have people that look to go to um, mediums, like we said, to engage the dead. The Bible says to stay away from those things. As a follower of Christ, we have access to God himself. We don't have to seek mystical powers that are difficult to understand, if understandable at all. And so Daniel and his friends belonging to God would not have engaged in these type of practices. They were a part of the group called astrologers, which did study the stars. They kept pretty specific records and even... Under the reign of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar in this time period, one of the astrologers was able to determine that a year was 365 days and some odd hours and minutes, of which we now know he was only about 26 minutes off with um, what we're able to determine today. They studied, kept records, and yes, they were looking for spiritual insight. The wise men that came to see Jesus... Um, that were a little late in getting there because they came from the east, remember. They were a part of this group. They were in this same line that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of. Astrologers who studied the skies, yes, to observe, but also to seek spiritual insight. They were able to see the coming of the Messiah through the star of Bethlehem. These men come to the king. He calls them in because he's troubled. God troubles Nebuchadnezzar with a dream, and Nebuchadnezzar troubles his counselors with the need for an answer. Daniel chapter 2, let's read verses 5 and 6. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed... And what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. I don't know about you, but I get the point. I get what he's asking for, right? I'm sure these guys did too. He's like, hey guys, this isn't just a, a gentle request that I'm hoping you can help me with. You're going to tell me not just what the dream means. You're going to tell me what the dream was. And some people have postulated that maybe he forgot. You know, you've had dreams and you forget what they were. I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, he's so moved by this dream and terrified by it. I'm pretty sure he remembers it in vivid detail, maybe even in color. And he's like, uh, no, but I need to know what the real answer is. And if I tell you guys what the dream is, you can make up an answer. But if you're able to tell me what the dream is, then I can trust that you're giving me the accurate interpretation of it. Well, the wise men were in trouble. As we've said, they had access to some spiritual power. They didn't have access to the source of real spiritual power. It's kind of like when I was a kid, coming up, there were people I would hear about playing with a, a Ouija board, you know. 
And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how they work exactly, but it's got this something with a hole in it, and then there's letters, and it'll move around the board and spell things out right. And, of course, um, some people said, hey, you're messing with demonic power to play with a Ouija board. Um, the point is that this is the kind of power, this is the kind of thing that these wise men had access to. They had studied, they developed principles, practices, incantations. They had a very well-developed spiritual system, but it was muddy and mucky, and there was really no power behind it. See, the God of the universe had given Nebuchadnezzar this dream. And so Satan, demons were not going to be able to discern it. They would be blocked from knowing what the dream was. They couldn't read Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts. And this incantations and rolling dice and and, uh, reading livers was not going to tell them the real answer of the dream. They were stuck. I remember uh, studying Harry Houdini, who was uh, a pretty famous magician when I was a kid. I thought that was pretty cool. He lived from like late 1800s to early 1920s. And, uh, you know, one of the things he did and he took pleasure in was going into these rooms where people would uh, trying to communicate with the dead called mediums. And they would get in a room and they would do this stuff. And he would go in and prove they were phony and faking and he would uncover their trickery. That's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar, I think, is. He recognizes that these guys have this whole system and, and he's locked into it because of the culture. It's what people do. But he doesn't trust the power behind it. And so he puts their lives on the line. You guys better find out the answer. You better, you better be able to tell me what I need. They go through a little dance here. These wise men say, wait, uh, king, come on, tell us the dream. And then we'll give you the answer. No, he says, I'm serious about this. You give me the dream and the interpretation or you're dead. Come on, king. You got to give us what the dream is. At least it's unfair. It's unreasonable. Finally, they said to him, it's impossible. No king on earth has ever asked his wise men for this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, situation, put this kind of pressure on them and asked for this kind of revelation. They said only the gods can know the dream and what the dream means. Well, he was furious. And he pronounces the death sentence on all of these wise men in Babylon. Again, probably thousands of leaders. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of this group. Arioch, who's the commander of the king's guard, is sent out to execute the orders of execution. He shows up to the home or to the, the dwelling where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, and he knows them. Remember, they were at the top of the class in chapter one. People know who they are. He shows up and says, hey, guys, I got some bad news. <laughs> I'm going to have to kill you. What? Daniel, <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Bible says Daniel handles this with wisdom and discernment, this interaction. And he's able to buy some time. He doesn't know what's going on. He didn't know about this crisis. And if you can imagine somebody showing up and going, hey, I know you didn't know it, but you're going to die today. (laughs) You've been sentenced to death. And uh, in the midst of this crisis with the experience of the past, 
Daniel once again steps into a moment and he handles it with his friends in such a powerful way that really his response, and I know we look at the Bible and see, you know, human choice and human uh, uh, decision-making and then God's sovereign will. And obviously God's trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel's response to this situation is really going to bring about in, in, in a way it, it, God's using Daniel, right? But his response, because of who he is, is going to enable God to get a message to Nebuchadnezzar. God shows his power to these young men in their time of great need. Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, then Daniel went home, told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them, to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with all the other wise men of Babylon. Daniel hears what's happening. There's a life or death crisis because of the way he handled himself with King Nebuchadnezzar, the training program he went through. He knew the king and the king knew him. And so the Bible says he went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King, could we just have a little more time? Could I have a little more time to try to find the answer to your question? And the king, because of his respect for Daniel, I've got to believe because of who Daniel was and his friends, he trusted him. He knew if Daniel was going to seek an answer, there was a real possibility he could get it. And so he relented and he gave Daniel a little more time. There's some things that I see in these guys' life as they handle themselves in a world that doesn't know God, doesn't honor God, doesn't respect God, doesn't follow God. Maybe at times you feel like you're in that kind of situation. I don't know. Maybe at times you feel like you're under the authority of people maybe that don't respect God, honor God, believe in God, don't really encourage you to do what God tells you to do. In fact, at times you might feel discouraged from that. These guys were in an incredibly difficult situation. I think so mirrors the times that we live in. And, and yet they stepped into this moment in such a powerful way. You know, they just humbled themselves very humbly, uh, handled themselves. They submitted to this pagan authority. And yes, they had a little bit of holy, righteous rebellion in them. And in chapter 3, we're going to see some intense rebellion. It gets a little more intense. But, but these guys weren't like, hey, we, we hate this place and we're mad at God for making us beer. You know, they, they didn't get into all that stuff. They, they seemed to keep a really good attitude. They seemed to handle themselves really well and res, re, respond to authority really well. But still at the same time, engaging God, seeking his direction, and even fighting to honor him in a place they could have done all the wrong stuff and probably no one would have ever known. They could have lived like the devil and probably never got held accountable for it. And yet, they stand apart as men who say, we want to do what God wants us to do. We want to honor him. We want to do our job. We're going to work for this king. But we want to do it in a way that allows us to stay true to who we are. We're set apart people. We're called out people. And when they face a crisis of life or death, they don't shake their fist at God. What are you doing here? Why'd you put us in this spot? I don't know about you, but I might struggle with that at times. I don't know, maybe you do, but they just very humbly, God, would you show mercy on us? Our lives are on the line. Would you give us the answer 
to this mystery, we know you can. I love how they banded together as a group. They went through this whole thing together. They stood strong on the dieting and now they go, we need to pray together. And they had a prayer meeting and they prayed life or death prayers. I don't know if you've prayed life or death prayers. You probably have. These guys are praying a life or death prayer. It's very simple. They're not praying this big mass of God, show yourself to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, they're just saying, God, we're, we're gonna die here. We need you to show up and do something. If you reveal to us the mystery, then we can be spared. In the middle of the night, they get a quick response. I talked to um, a sweet lady in our church before we left and she was sharing with me an answer to prayer you know, regarding one of her kids and how she prayed for a long time, been troubled a long time, probably lost a lot of sleep, worrying, right? But we started to pray and God did something. He showed up um, in the life of her child. And so it's like, man, when we pray those life and death prayers, you know, going to God um, with an urgency, with a desperation, God, would you? So often we think about solving the problem, fixing it, you know, figuring it out. But really the answer here, and it's the kind of situation that Daniel knew God was the only source of the answer, they go to him with an urgency. And in the middle of the night, God reveals the mystery to Daniel. And Daniel does something I think we should all do. He writes out a prayer and a praise of thanksgiving to God. It's a declaration of who God is and what he's done. It includes who he is. And the power with, it, with which he rules the world, it acknowledges God for who he is and says, thank you, God, for answering our prayer. It goes this way. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars he reveals deep and mysterious things, and he knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. praying life or death prayers, trusting God like Daniel and his friends did. What an example of us, uh, to us of how to live in the world, but not of the world. We don't seek wisdom from the world. We don't go through the channels that everyone else goes through. We seek direction from God. We seek the power of God at work in the situations in our life. I hope you and I can continue to encourage each other to remain faithful like Daniel, to have the trust that God has the answer. He has the knowledge we need. He has the power that we need to be able to apply to the situations we face in life. We have a prayer team here at Mitchell Brian and it's growing and, and they meet regularly to pray over our church, to pray for our community, to pray for the needs in our church. We have a we have on the church center app, we have a prayer team you can be a part of. You can be a part of praying for our church, with our church, for individual needs. Sometimes we pray for larger issues. 
We have prayer trees out in the lobby. We have a request prayer tree that's over here, an answer tree that's over here because we need to see, be reminded of the power, not just of prayer, but the power of God. And when we go to him with the issues that we face, he's aware and he's promised to answer, to be with us and to provide us the power we need to engage the problems in our life. What are you praying for? What life or death prayers are you praying? Can I remind you that God's sovereign will is at play here, okay? The yes that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got was because God had a plan. He was working through them to engage this king. Do you know that in a very real way, you and I are present in this world to represent Jesus and you and I engage these same kind of crises. Do you know there's people that God wants to get to through you? I've run into people that have had issues, dreams, situations, they're trying to understand. I'm able to give them some interpretation because I know God. I know the God that's trying to speak to them. You do too. You are in those situations in life. Don't lose sight don't lose perspective. Yes, we live in difficult times. Yes, there's all kinds of stuff going on around us that can grab our attention and pull us in. God wants to use you and me. He wants to use our church to continue to reveal who God is to the world. We're to preserve and protect the knowledge of God and encourage people with who God is, the nature of the relationship he wants to have with them. We're a part of the big picture of God's sovereign plan in the world. You and I get a chance to live out our lives just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Next week, we'll see how Daniel handles Nebuchadnezzar and what God does through him to do something pretty big in the world. I think sometimes we miss the big things when God does something through us with a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, looking for an answer, struggling with something. Man, God's given us his presence and his power. I wanna encourage you to continue to press forward. Don't get distracted by all the craziness in the world. Stay focused on who God is. You're a called out one. You belong to him. You're set aside for a righteous purpose. And that is to be a missionary, a representative of him in this world. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us and the calling you placed on our lives. You've sanctified us. You've set us apart to represent you. God, I pray you'd help us as the worship team led us in the last song to search our hearts and to make sure that we're right with you, that we're confessing and repenting and moving away from sin, moving towards obedience to you so we can represent you. So when people see our lives, they see you living through us And God, I pray you continue to build our faith as a church, as individuals, strengthen us so that we continue to be truth tellers, mystery revealers, dream interpreters for the world we live in. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.